Hello, you lovely lot, and welcome to episode 16 of the Embers Collective podcast. Today we have me, Lonan Jenkins, telling the story of how Kukulin got his name, with music by Tim Carp. Enjoy. They said he would be the hero that Ireland needed. They said he would be strong, that he would be brave, that he would be invincible in battle. That when the men of Ulster were struck down with cowardice or curse, he would be the one to step up and save them. They said he would be a real man. The prophecy stated that he would live a short and glory-filled life, but that his name would live on on men's lips for all eternity. This prophecy would loom over him like a dark shadow until the very day of his death. But we're getting ahead of ourselves rushing towards the end before we've even begun. I would say let's start at the beginning, but if we do that we'd be here tonight, tomorrow night, the next night and the one after until we get to where we want to be. The story we're telling began thousands of years ago and continues up until today. From Cúcullin to Thor to Theseus to Jesus Christ to Batman and Luke Skywalker. But for the sake of a story, we need to start somewhere. A few days before once upon a time, in the province of Ulster on the island of Ireland there lived a woman named Dectra. On the night before her wedding, she disappeared into the land of the fairies with 50 of her maidens. Kind of like a Hindu. And on the morning of the, of the wedding, her husband Sulatim and the men of the Red Branch searched all over for her, but she was nowhere to be found. For Dectra was having fun, exploring the delights of the other world. And one night, a shining, beautiful man appeared to her, and this man's name was Lu, God of Light. He explained to her that when she returned to Ulster, she would be pregnant with his son, and that she was to raise this son as her own. Sure enough, after one whole year, when she finally returned to Ulster with her handmaiden, she found that she was pregnant. And her husband, Sulatim, was certain it wasn't his, but still agreed to marry her after hearing her story. The Council of Ulster discussed and debated who would raise the child, being the son of a god. And it was agreed that Deirdre and Sulatim would raise the child until he was an appropriate age. And then each of the bravest, strongest, wisest men would all have a part to play in bringing the boy up. And when he was born, they could see immediately that there was something different about him. It was said that a hero's light seemed to shine from him that they had never witnessed before. And the child was named Satanta. From a very young age, he was adventurous and curious, and his mother and father struggled to keep him from getting into trouble. He used to love going on adventures, running out of the house only to return hours later, covered in grass stains and mud, leaves and twigs in his hair. 
He would also go to the fort of Awanmaka and visit his uncle, the king of Ulster, Conor Magnassa. And while he walked, he would play a game with his spear, his hurly stick and a ball. First, he would throw his spear into the air and then his stick and then the ball before running ahead and catching them each before they hit the ground. On this particular day that Satanta came to visit, the king was going down to inspect the boy's troops. Decided to take Satanta with him. The boy's troop were a bit like Boy Scouts. They were the sons of the Ulster warriors who would go on to form the Red Branch and protect the land. So they were taught not only weaponry and sports, but also poetry, music and storytelling. They were the best of the best. On this particular day, they were playing hurling. For those of you who don't know, hurling is an ancient sport played in Ireland. It is the fastest field sport in the world and was once described to me as a mixture of hockey and Quidditch. Once Satanta saw them, he immediately wanted to join in. His uncle told him that he was much too young, but before he could even finish his sentence, Satanta had run out with his hurly stick and begun to play. The king watched as soon as it looked as it was Satanta against the entire field. He took the ball and beat it up and down the pitch. Not a single one of the boys' troop could touch him as he ran all the way, ducking and weaving and Boy's troop didn't know who this young lad was, and grew angry and chased after him with their sticks, shouting and calling him back. The king ran out to stop, calling Satanta over, fearing that Satanta would be beaten within an inch of his life. He grabbed Satanta by the scruff of the neck, and he told him that there was a protocol, that you must first introduce yourself to the boy's troop and ask for their protection. I think, replied Satanta, that it is them that needs to ask for my protection. As he wiggled free from his uncle, he ran around and tripped up every single one of the boys' troop as they landed on the grass. So that's what happened. Every one of the boys' troop had to line up and ask for Satanta's protection. And that's how Satanta became the youngest lad ever to join the boys' troop. About a year later, a smith named Cullen invited the king to a feast at his house. The smith emphasised that although he was successful, he would not be able to host all of the king's people. So the king set off with a small group of warriors, lords and ladies. And as he passed the boy's troop, he called Satanta over. He told him that there was room for just one more, if he wanted to join. Satanta said that he would finish his training and make his way to Cullen's house. When the king arrived at Cullen's, he was wined and dined with the most fantastic food and wine. Cullen had gone all out to please the king. And as the sun began to set, he asked the king if anyone else would be joining him. He explained that he could not afford an army to keep him safe, so instead had a great, big guard dog that would tear to pieces anyone that tried to trespass in the night. Forgetting the young Satanta, the king told him he was safe to release the dog, that there was nobody else coming. So the dog did, 
What it did every night as soon as it was released. It circled around the house. It lay in front of the door, resting its great heavy head on its paws. And with one eye closed, the other eye focused on the horizon. It settled in. Satanta made his way to Cullen's house as the sun was setting, following the tracks left behind by the king's chariot. As he did so, he was playing his game of throwing his spear, hurl and ball up into the air and catching them before they hit the ground. As he made his way up over a small hill, he saw Cullen's house down below him. Before he could take another step, he heard a ferocious roar and saw in the dim light the burning eyes of the great dog bounding towards him, baring his ferocious teeth. It grew closer and closer as Satanta felt his heart pounding in his chest. His breathing sped up, his hands grew sweaty, his eyes focused on the dog, his mouth was dry. Closer and closer and closer. And just as the dog began to open its jaws and Satanta could look right into its eyes, he threw his ball high and smashed it with his hurl. The slither broke into the dog's mouth, smashing through teeth and into his throat. The dog bounded, its momentum carrying forward before falling dead and sliding into Satanta's feet. Those in the hall had heard the ferocious roar and knew what it meant. It was only then that the king remembered that he invited the young Satanta. Running outside, he expected to see the young Satanta disemboweled by the great beast, but instead he saw the boy standing over its dead body, his hurling stick in his hand, and his hero's light shining around his head. The king was relieved, but Colin was devastated. He had raised the dog and trained it from a pup, and now his whole family and livelihood were at risk. It would take me years to find another pup and train it, he said. What am I supposed to do now, he asked the king. And Satanta stepped forward. I will guard your land and your house. I will take on the job of your hound every evening. I will come here from Awanmaka and I will protect you until you have found and trained a replacement. And so he did. Every night he would circle Cullen's house and lay just where the dog had, resting his head on his hands and sleeping with one eye open, watching the horizon. And that's how Satanta became known as Ku Cullen or the Hound of Cullen. And it was later prophesied that he would live a short, gloryful life, but that his name would be on men's lips for eternity. And here we are, still sharing stories about him. Thanks for that, Lonan. You are very welcome. That was fun. Yeah, it was. It's nice, wasn't it? Yeah, I haven't heard that story for quite a long time, actually. Yeah, not since the star in Hackney Downs, possibly. Oh, really? Which was three and a half years ago. Wow. 
I didn't have a beard back then. <laughs> I think we I had shorter hair. Yeah. Yeah. Younger. Was younger, prettier. <laughs> um, taller. Yeah. Smelt better. Uh, anyway, so uh, we're going to talk about the story. Um, Lone, what draws you to this story? Um, there's quite a lot of things, really. Um, this story really stands out, a bit like the the Maca one that we did on the last podcast. Um, it's really nice to do stories from my from my home home my home uh, country and home province. Um, and again, like I said, the, the sort of the names and the imagery and everything really resonate quite strongly. Um, also, the Kukulin, one of the Kukulin stories is one of the first stories I ever told at one of the Candlelit Tales nights in Dublin. Um, and you say uh, Candlelit Tales are? Yeah, so Candlelit Tales are a wonderful group in Dublin um, run by our friends Aaron and Sorka and his sister Sorka. Um, and they do they do nights of Celtic mythology um, in Dublin. Um, I think they're mostly based in the Stag's Head in Temple Bar, but highly recommend checking them out. Um, they do Celtic mythology set to music, and it was kind of it was from that um, I went along to one of their events and told a story, and it was from that that we were um, essentially born and and sort of you know started doing Celtic mythology and then moved into world mythology and 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 sort of grew into the embers. Um, but yeah, they're they're a great group um, in Dublin. Yeah, we even me, you, and Rixie went over a couple of years ago and did a show with them. Yeah, it was really nice. We did like doing this thing all together, and it all felt, you know, felt like a lovely home. Basically, yeah, I love what they're doing out there. It's really nice. It's lovely, and they've got some podcasts as well. So I'd recommend um, checking those out. Um, yeah, so I, I told a I told a Kukulin story at, at one of the Candlelit Tales nights, um, and and it was sort of from that 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 you know. I, I jumped I jumped very much into storytelling and, and, and wanted to, to get this up and running. Um and the Kukulin stories also stand out for me just like I guess any of the hero stories. I, I, I'm at the moment I'm I'm really enjoying the hero stories and exploring them in terms of what they can kind of represent and be metaphors for in terms of um sort of masculinity and men and the and the pressures that we put on young men. Um and I and I think, you know, Joseph Campbell has, has sort of looked at the hero's cycle or the hero the hero's journey and and seen that it's replicated across cultures from Theseus and Thor and mm. um and even Jesus Christ and and um George Lucas very much used it as the basis for Star Wars and Luke Skywalker's journey but also it can it can for me it can have parallels and obviously you can sort of read into things and see things however you want to but if you think of that kind of prophecy being the pressure that we put on young men to to be brave and to be strong and always be the ones who don't don't let people down and and in you know when i first read the kukulun stories i actually thought he was a bit of a dick um because he just runs around trying to constantly prove himself and doing these really petty things and really silly things and if anyone challenges him like there's one story where he this kid's like i bet you can't throw a pot over a roof and he's like i can't throw a pot over a roof and they have this competition to see who can throw a pot over a roof and you're like if you're really a great hero you wouldn't need to do that but obviously he doesn't he doesn't see himself as a great hero he's constantly trying to fulfill the prophecy mm. constantly trying to meet all the demands that are met on him constantly trying to be brave and strong and you know if there's any war he'll rush off and fight and it's literally that like man thing of fighting and fucking like it's literally the two things that a lot of <laughs> a lot of men tend to know is the way to deal with the world mm. um 
and and that's how could call them digital things but actually it was actually a chat i had with sorka who, who who said that she sees him almost like a, quite a tragic figure because he is so insecure and he's always trying to live up to that and really he only fulfills the prophecy in the end because of his own stubbornness and 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 mm. and has to go out and fight even though everyone's trying to protect him and stop him from fighting and his death his death is that that sort of his ignorance and and his need to fulfill this prophecy so that he will be have the glory and, and have the the acclaim and the esteem and finally he's reached this point you know and and it's quite a tragic thing that the hero only ever becomes a hero in their death mm. um up until that point they're they're just trying to be the hero and trying to fulfill it. completely trapped yeah. his entire life he's trapped by this demand of him this this uh prophecy yeah and then he dies yeah and then he gets it what he wants but yeah is that what he wanted? Well, it's I mean, prophesized on him. It's, it's prophesized, and, and and I mean, you know, he actually chooses to, depending on. There's a couple of different versions of it, the first story of the prophecy, but in 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 one of the versions, he he basically chooses to take up arms because the prophecy is read that whoever takes up arms on this day will will live a short, glory-filled life, but their name will live on on men's lips for eternity, and he chooses to go and take up arms mm. after hearing that prophecy knowing that he'll he'll have glory is that is that all we want is our name to live on for generations like that's that's the thing isn't it mm. you know, we we have that that innate innate desire inside of us we must have children we must pass our name we must pass our mm. genes it's built into us yeah but what's the point yeah <laughs> if you're just gonna be trapped your entire life like like he was yeah and i think i think it I mean, like I said already, obviously we can read into these things as much as we want to and everyone sees things that they want to see and, and represent. And these stories have so much, there's so much metaphor and so much um, stuff that you can look into. I, I, I think, you know, that whole like sort of dealing with things through violence and rushing into things and, and, and wanting that glory and, and always having to be strong and everything, like I said, for me represents the negative aspects of, of, of sort of masculinity or, or, you know, could be seen as parallels of toxic masculinity. And actually the real hero for me are people who don't have to rush in with violence, who can hold their tongue, don't have to fight. And maybe they're the ones who live the long, happy, comfortable lives and not the quietly. kind of like, yeah, quietly and, and don't have to go, I'm the hero and I'll save you and rushing in with their sword and, uh, and trying to save the day. Um, yeah. I don't know, you know, obviously, that's my interpretation of it and, and, and guess what I'm trying to explore by delving into these stories. I'd love to I'd love to put together a longer show of of the Kukulun story, um, you know, somewhere along the line. Yeah, I think it's a great idea. I think it's something that, that there's definitely... I, I don't know whether it's because we're at that age or because mm. there is actually an awakening. Mm. I feel like there is, there is a lot more, um, a lot more presence of like awareness of of male mental health I, mm -hmm. think, I think it's it's definitely improved over the last few years i think also at our age it's, it, it becomes more apparent as well you get to your 30s and you're like hey what's going on mm. <laughs> and then and you start to question yourself a little bit more i think maybe not just for men but i can only speak for myself yeah um but it's yeah i, I think the more people are aware of of this epidemic mm. which is what it is mm. Of, of male mental sickness, mm. the better. 
it's it's so classic for men not to talk about their feelings. It's yeah. so classic and it's so toxic yeah. and and needs to be properly addressed at like you know as soon as possible for people if you f- feel like you're not talking you've got stuff on your mind you, you should try and share it with people mm-hmm. um go and talk to someone about it to help if you need it yeah. if you feel like something's weighing you down that there probably is yeah. probably because you've been holding something in yeah um so definitely if you're a if you've got any of those feelings you should you should check it out yeah <laughs> you know there's a lot of stuff inside of us that's been building up and over our entire lives and you know just as if you have a a bad back or something you go to the doctor yeah just talk just talk to your mates i think there definitely is a, an awakening um you know i think the whole the whole me too movement and we're opening discussions about this stuff that that has needed to happen for such a long time and even if you look at things like the Gillette advert um you know cynically you could say that they're just jumping on sort of a new a wave or a bandwagon but actually it's really important because people the public perception is guided by what Mm. we see in the media and everything and if the media can take the lead on this even if they are doing it for acclaim or for attention or for money I'm fine with that you know if they're presenting good role models they're making it the norm yeah yeah, it's like banks with the with the pride flag. Yeah. Know? But yeah, if more people see it, well yeah, what's the problem? Yeah. Make it normal. Um Yeah, I think I think there is an awakening and there's a there's a long way to go because like in these stories, it, it's so the way that the, the way that the hero deals with stuff is so destructive and not just to them but to everyone around them. Like people get killed and not often in these stories it's the women who have to rush in and sort things out like whether it's Colin's wife or his mother or anyone they're always trying to manage it and deal with it like mm. um and then and and you know this there's elements of of post-traumatic stress disorder in this and 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 um i guess thinking about that the word hero is is linked now to to soldiers and and people who fought in 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 conflicts and and actually, you know, we call them heroes and we put them on the mantle. But at the end of the day, they're they're going to be suffering like the heroes in these stories. And, and they're, go- they're going to have post-traumatic stress disorder or physical injuries that the word hero kind of obscures. And, and uh, you know, I, I don't know, hides it a bit, maybe. Um, but, you know, if you think of the Kukulin story, the, the, the death of Connolo, where he's he's accidentally killed his son, and the way he deals with it is goes out and thrashes the waves for days and days to to get all that anger and aggression out. But it, it's it's dealing with it through violence, and then he comes back and doesn't say a word to anyone. You know, it's like classic man, <laughs> just beat the shit out of something and then just don't talk about it. <laughs> it's like you've just killed your son. <laughs> you okay? <laughs> Do you want to cry? <laughs> um, but yeah, it's an, it's an interesting, you know, analysis like look look to look at them in that way i think yeah um but yeah we've known all this stuff for so long haven't we yeah (laughs) that's that's what i always find when when i listen to you guys bring new stories i'm like oh that's so happening now isn't it (laughs) why didn't we learn when we made this story up thousands of years yeah i think we've been we've been learning and like i said i do feel there's been a massive awakening lately Mm. and i think there's there's a new surge and a new drive and um, I think we need to keep going. I think we need to keep shouting about it. And, and the stuff you were saying about, 
you know, mm-hmm. opening and talking and, and opening up. And and I, I find myself very lucky to have people like you and, and people like, you know, other men in my life that I feel very comfortable opening up to. But I know that that's not actually the norm. Um, and I'm very lucky and, and mm-hmm. privileged to have that. Um, and I think it needs to be more. We need to be able to we need to encourage more more people to do that and enable more people to do that and feel like they can. Mm. Um, and it, and if you, I guess, you know, if you, if you're someone who feels like you don't have someone to talk to, like there's so many groups like CAM, um, and, and the Samaritans and, and, and where you can ring them up and you can just chat yeah. and talk about stuff. And yeah. it's so important. Yeah. Um, the amount of men dying from suicide is just needs to, needs to stop. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah, on that note, <laughs> um, we'll uh, we'll leave it there, guys. Thanks for listening. Um, we've got. Did we talk about the gigs already? Um, yeah, well, we can we can do. It. On the last one, we we mentioned on the fifteenth of August, we're doing uh, Moon Stories, Full Moon Stories, in um, Cafe Cairo in Clapham, and then on the twenty seventh of August, we have our. Uh, big summer show in the Dodson Curve Garden with Woodburner and we are bringing um, a full force of storytelling and music to the table with uh, the wonderful Stumble Trip Theatre and some great musicians and storytellers um, involved too and we are very excited for yeah. it. So we hope you have a lovely summer and we'll see you next month. Yeah, see you in August. Bye. Bye.